middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on sports and all the major sports topics in Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. Along with Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor, back for another episode of Keeper of the Games. We've got a lot to talk about on this episode and uh, just so much happening. We were just talking, Weston, about uh, how the news cycle just you're constantly refreshing social media because there is just there's so much happening and we've got a lot to get to on this episode by the way it's good to be back you're looking well yeah hey thanks thanks for uh, rejoining us tommy we we missed you last week it definitely felt a little different but i think blake and i managed but it's good to have the uh i don't know i think you're you're becoming not becoming you are the voice of keeper of the games you know people are just used to hearing hearing you bring it bring it in and, and welcome everyone onto the show so it's definitely different having me do it last week but uh, we're glad to have you back man I appreciate that. I, you know, I really have to say, I think you and Blake did a really good job. And, um, I, I know that, uh, that hosting a, a podcast, yeah. um, you know, it's not something you've ever done before. And so kind of throwing you to the wolves, I guess, but you handled it well. <laughs> and I, I have to say that now that you've actually hosted the show, like kind of in the driver's seat, you are for sure a member of the media now. Like, I don't think that you can run away from it. I don't think you can dispute that fact. Like you are a media member now. I think I'm just going to go ahead and now I'm going to shift my argument to being that podcasters aren't real media members. I'm just going to go ahead and, sh- and draw a line in that. And that's going to be my new focus and new argument and just stay in this podcast realm. Well, there you go. Uh, Yeah, of course, we uh, had a lot to talk about last week, and it it seems like a long time ago uh, since that episode dropped. We're less than a week now from that episode, and uh, I don't know if we can really constitute this episode as an emergency podcast. We've done a couple of those in the past. I would say this is a semi-emergency podcast of Keeper of the Games, considering we're dropping it a day early um, and there just is a lot to get to. We say that every week. We always say there's a lot to talk about, but especially in the world of college football, there's a lot to talk about today, which is a big reason why we're doing this show today. Would you consider this kind of a semi-emergency podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the content actually kind of corresponded with what we were planning on anyways, but I mean, boy, it doesn't get any bigger news than what's going on with the college football world right now. Um, obviously as we'll get into the podcast, I'll really just a lot in general going on, not even with, not even just with college football. So a lot of content glad that, that, you know, Hey, we, we're, we're here to, to, to break it down for you, discuss for you. And, and hopefully some people can enjoy what we're talking about here. Yeah, well, folks who are listening probably need to buckle in because we've got a lot to get to uh, here on this episode of Keeper of the Games. Before we dive into it, though, I do want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we drop a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. That's the best way to know when we have new episodes. We try to drop them on Thursdays. Uh, sometimes we do two a week, but like in this case, we're dropping it a day early on a Wednesday. So having a, you know, a subscription to the podcast on uh, any of your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes or Google podcasts, Spotify, any of those major ones, that's important. That way you'll get a notification on your phone when we drop a new episode and you won't miss a single one. So definitely do that. Of course, you can also watch full episodes on YouTube and on Facebook just by searching for keeper of the games. You can also subscribe on YouTube. That way you'll get a notification when a new video 
video is uploaded as well. You can go to our website and watch full episodes. That's cogpod.weebly.com. Now that URL is changing soon, but for now it is cogpod.weebly.com, kogpod.weebly.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at cogpod at kogpod. Uh, And of course, a special thank you to our friends over at Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Okay, so with that, we're going to get into our top story of the day, and that's trying to dissect and dive in to the world of college football. We knew this time was going to come. We knew it was going to be sometime around this time of year when all the major conferences had to make a determination about what they were going to do for the fall season in midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, the dominoes continue to drop over the last 24 to 48 hours or so. And, you know, here's the thing. We're recording this show, full disclosure, recording this show on Tuesday afternoon. That's August 11th. The show is dropping Wednesday morning. So it very well could be by the time you listen to this podcast, things could be totally different and there could be a lot more conferences that have been making, you know, decisions and things like that. But as of right now, from what we know happening in just the last few hours from the time that we're recording this is that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 out of the major conferences right now are saying that they are not going to be playing their fall 2020 football season. And in the case of the Big Ten, are saying that they're going to be reevaluating in the spring. I think the Pac-12 said that as well. Uh, However, there is kind of skepticism about whether or not that'll happen. That's where we stand right now. The other conferences are either up in the air or they have stated they are going to play. Uh, I know, Weston, things are changing quite a bit. That's a big setup that I just gave you. Yeah. Uh, what are your initial thoughts about the landscape of college football as we get into the fall? Uh, yeah, so absolutely loaded question because there's so, so many different ways and, and we'll get into a lot of different, but uh, so many different ways you can can take this conversation. I think my initial reactions were that it was fairly predictable. I, I think that we uh, anticipated that, you know, a lot of this would would probably play out this way. And I know you and I had a little Twitter exchange as, as some of this was kind of breaking about, you know, I didn't think that there was going to be college football playing. And ultimately, I think it comes down to, to this, and we're, and we're, we're going to take this conversation, I'm sure, in many different directions, but I want to make this clear. I am very much certain that this is not about player safety. I think there is, you've, you've heard a lot of players speak out, a lot of coaches speak out, just talking heads speak out the media, if you will, Tommy speak out about, you know, Hey, look, there, there's a argument to be made that these players will be safer, you know, being with their football team where they have absolute world-class medical treatment, as opposed to, okay, just go ahead and go out on campus and fend like everybody else does for trying to figure this out. Maybe you've got access to this and that. Um, and, and that argument may have some some truth to it, I, you know. I do think, but here's what it's about: it's about the liability for these schools. They were not willing to risk putting their amateur athletes that they have fought so hard to continue to call them amateur athletes out on the field to get sick and then ultimately have to deal with it if something catastrophic were to happen. So this is absolutely about the liability of the universities, and I'm not even saying that it's a bad thing. I mean, I just, I, I just wish that we could, you know, call a spade a spade that that's what, why these decisions are being made. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I don't disagree with you one bit that, you know, there's been such an outpouring 
of student athletes and coaches that are, you know, saying, number one, we want to play. Number two, we feel like we can play. Number three, in the case of some of these schools saying these student athletes, to your point, would be safer in our environment than going back home or being somewhere else where, you know, they could potentially contract it at a, you know, in a different way, spread it to God knows who, family, friends, the community, that sort of thing, where, you know, if they're in, I don't want to use the word bubble because it's not a bubble like the NBA's bubble, but when they're in that atmosphere, when they're in that environment, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're playing D1 Power 5 college football, you're in an environment where your your day-to-day is managed pretty heavily. Now, that doesn't Absolutely. mean that every move you make is going to be tracked, but your day-to-day is managed. And, and that's been the whole thing from this entire conversation when it comes to can sports safely resume? Can these guys play whatever game that you know they want to play? And I think the answer is, if you can manage them, if you can um, you know, put them in a situation where you are diminishing the risk, where you can manage their movements, their social settings, you know, how they're spending their time, then yes, it can work. In the case of the NBA, that's been proof that it can work. In college football, you have that to an extent. You have environments where these players are managed almost to the hour, whether it's conditioning or weight training, meals, tutoring. I mean, it's not like these guys are all that often walking around campus. I mean, they might be sitting in classrooms occasionally, but for the most part, they're removed from the day-to-day campus environment. So it's not about we feel like they're going to be more at risk or they're they're going to risk our other students or our faculty or our staff. It literally, and I totally agree with you, is all about liability. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is going to be the focus here, I've heard a couple ADs already say that, hey, we're not going to put these student athletes in a position where they have to waive liability. Well, here's the thing. If we're going to continue on this narrative that they're student athletes and, and they are amateur status and they are folks... There's no there's no need to use the phrase opt out or anything like that. They don't have to play. Right. And I say that in the context that it just the echo you hear from across, you know, and I guess I'll say Twitter because that's where it's all pouring in at that these guys, they, they want to play football. You know, so they've got the opportunity to to not play if they don't want to play, and you don't have to put a a waiver liability in front of them. With that being said, of course I, I understand um, you know why these athletic departments are doing it, but you know that they are that concerned of liability that they're willing to take on that risk of not producing that football money that in most cases funds their entire athletic department or a good majority of their athletic department. So I I think there is significant concern from them. I'm curious what data or information that they have or are acting upon that either isn't, general you know knowledge of the general public or or maybe it is but it's just not being focused on those kind of things because uh, like i've said before i think when you waive dollars you know compare the the risk versus the dollars they're risking that they're going to lose it's a it, it is interesting to to know what they're basing these decisions on um and i think media perception or perception at, from the public you know is playing a big part in that as well well and here's the other thing too you know i feel like there is double talk going on on both sides of the fence here. You know, like you mentioned, 
you've got these, you know, schools that are saying in the best interest of, you know, student athlete safety, blah, 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 blah. When that's not really the case, it's really the liability that might be on the hands of these schools if somebody gets sick or if there's an outbreak. Uh, so there's double talk there on that side. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But then there's the same sort of thing on the other side as far as the schools that want to continue to play. There, you know, that these athletic departments, like at Texas, I know the the AD Chris Del Conte, um, you know, gave an interview where he talked about, you know, we we still want to play, and we're we're you know, even the SEC commissioner said we want to play for these for these kids, you know, for the opportunities, you know, for them to be on the field every Saturday, and you know, all the opportunities that may be true. But they're talking on the both sides of their mouth too. It's about the the revenue. It's about the money. It's about the amount of of cash that these departments bring in uh, each year, based off of whether you're talking about Texas, you know, Longhorn football or Oklahoma Sooner football or Alabama Crimson Tide football. It's a massive money maker. That's why they want to keep playing. I don't blame them, uh, but it's you know it's kind of I think it's disingenuous on both sides when they're talking all about how it's all about the student athlete whether they should or shouldn't play. It's not about either one. It's about liability on one side. It's about money on the other side. Yeah, and I, this is a perfect time to, to point this out too because to your point, when they keep saying that the safety issue, they both the Big Big Ten and Pac-12 who've canceled have both said they're anticipating trying to play football in the spring. So you're going to yeah. tell me this is about player safety but then you're going to go ask these guys to play football all the way. Probably. I can't imagine that you get it done before middle of May and then turn around and start camp in August for, for a start of a September or earlier football season. I mean, talk about putting a lot of stress on a body. Urban Meyer from Ohio state flat out said when he was asked, do you envision there being football in the spring? And I believe his words and I quote were, not a chance. Like there's just no way. Like I don't understand how you can be like, look, we're we're not we're not going to do it in the fall. We're going to try to play in the spring. You already know you're not going to play in the spring. There's no way that that's going to ha- actually happen. Like you're kicking the can down the road. And so I I I tend to lean more either go all the way one way and say, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to give it a, you know, the, the old college try as they would say. And that's what the sec is going to do. And I believe the ACC might go that direction as well, where they're going to say, look, like we've got protocols in place. We're going to give it a try. If it doesn't work, we can shut it down. I think that's probably the the right move. Uh, just my opinion, but that's what the sec is going to do. And I'm totally okay with that. If you're not going to play, if you're the Big Ten or the Pac-12, if you're not going to play in the fall, just shut it down for the entire year. Don't do this whole, we're going to see how things you know, look in the spring. It's not going to happen. Come on, be real about that. Yeah, it, it, and the other thing too, I mean, it, it, if you have that conversation of let's play in the spring and you ask those players, they're going to say, yeah, I, I want to play yeah. in the spring and I'm willing to turn around and play in September. But if you're in this position, and, and I know I'm, I'm harping on this, but if you're in this position where as an athletic director, as an athletic department, as a chancellor of a university, you're saying I can make better decisions for these grown men than they can for themselves. And again, this is where the whole dynamic of the NCAA and this, you know, is basically trying to say they're amateurs and and it wraps all into this. It just is such a monumentous moment, really, where we're at with the NCAA and this all kind of colliding and blowing up all at once. But, you know, they're going to basically say, hey, we know better for these players, but then let them play 
you know, February through May, take a month off and start another season again. That's just yeah. ridiculous. And I, and I also would be curious to see how many players say, no, forget that. I, I'm, I'm an NFL prospect. I'll go right. train. I'll go train in the spring and then I'll enter the draft. I'm not messing with this. Yep. And, and I wouldn't blame them if that was the case at all. Not. Of course not. Here, here's, here's my question that, that I, I just, I'm curious. And I, I just want to know where's Mark Emmert. Where is he? Where, where, where is the NCAA president right now? He's not giving interviews. I haven't been able to find anything about him online. Where is he? This is the organization. And you know what? It's I will totally own the fact that I want Mark Emmert to lose his job. I, I, I said that months ago, well before this even started. I think he is an ineffective leader. I think he's terrible. I think the NCAA is a is a racket. I think it's a corrupt organization. We can get into all of that uh, at, at another time. But my, but honestly, my question is separate from all of that. Where is he? Where's the NCAA right now? You know, I, th- I believe the last thing that I heard him say was somebody asked him about, you know, wh- what's the NCAA's role in all of this? And he said, well, really, it's going to be up to each institution. Then why do you exist as the NCAA? Yeah, I'm not saying that he needs to come out and set policy nationwide. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is it sure would help if the organization that oversees all of these division one schools that are trying to make decisions and the conferences that are trying to make decisions, if they could at least be there for support, be there for guidance, be there to help them in this decision-making process, as opposed to just being nowhere. And at least publicly from what I can tell right now, the NCAA is nowhere to be found. Yeah. Look, I'm kind of on the fence on this. Like normally I I feel like I play the devil's advocate every time you bash the NCAA, but I I do agree with you. It'd be nice to have some sort of united front from the NCAA. But on the other side, I do think it makes sense to some degree to let, to let conferences make those decisions on their own. And it's not that it's necessarily playing out this way perfectly, but let's just say in the South, we were having pretty much no coronavirus cases or all or it was way down. There's no reason to not let them play if the Northeast is having a hell of a time. Or for instance, I kind of think maybe more of a realistic approach would be, you know, for instance, the Mac was the first to cancel. You know, the Mac's just not going to have the money that the SEC does to really put the, the procedures in place to make sure we can go about this the right way. So from that aspect, I get what he's saying, but I do agree with you. It'd be it'd be nice if there was some sort of united front or or even just a, from the beginning. A, hey, here's what we would expect conferences or institutions to put in place to be able to. We're going to leave those decisions up to you, but we would like to see X, Y, and Z happen. And hey, we're going to be able to provide X, Y, and Z resources for schools that, that want to, 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 to try it out. So I, I think that is interesting. And, and again, I'm not going to lead us down another rabbit hole, but quick sidebar, I'm sure you saw that The Rock bought um, the XFL. Yeah, I I'm going to call my shot right now. The the rock bought the XFL and whenever they are ready to go, he is going to allow 18 year olds to come and play in that league. And you're going to see what the G league is about to, or about to do slash is doing to the NBA is going to happen with the XFL. And they're going to bypass all this. I don't think it's going to play in. It's just, it it was in a too bad of a spot that he couldn't, turn around quickly and do this right now to let some guys come right. to play if their conference gets canceled. But I'm, I'm calling my shot. That's what he's about to do. So uh, my point of that being back to the NCAA of this uh, pandemic mixed with, you know, them losing the, or, 
allowing students to do their the likeness and imageness and all the bad PR that they've had. This is all just a the the perfect storm to I think either blow up the NCA or drastically change the outlook of it moving forward. And that's what needs to happen. It either needs to be completely blown up and abolished, or it needs to be completely reformed with with change at the top in the leadership. Uh, as far as The Rock is concerned, I don't disagree with you at all. It's almost like life imitating art. I don't know if you ever watched yes. Ballers on HBO, yeah. but it's I mean, yep. it's like he's Spencer Strasmore now in real life, like yep. pouncing on this opportunity to jump in. And I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that's absolutely the case. Um, the, the other thing about the NCAA that I, I just want to mention, and again, we can get down that rabbit hole of talking about how bad the NCAA is in a lot of different areas. But what's sad to me is that this is, and I, you know, this might be hyperbole. I don't think it is, but this might be the most critical time in college athletics ever, ever. And the NCAA is nowhere to be found as far as guidance, public united front, you know, supporting its member institutions. However, they cannot act quick enough to spend millions of dollars to lobby in Washington, D.C. to prevent these athletes from making money. They cannot act quickly enough when there is a quote unquote student athlete who might take $50 from someone. They cannot act quick enough to sanction that person and the school that they play for. But in the most critical time for college athletics, they are nowhere to be found. That's shameful to me. And, it, you know, like I said, if, it, if nothing else, they should at least be providing some kind of public support, some kind of public voice. If they truly cared about the student athlete, then they would jump up and they would actually support them. And it wouldn't just be lip service. It 100% is. You know, and, I mean, and, and that is, you're exactly right with where we're at. But, you know, the other thing that I, I'm going to kind of shift the conversation back, I guess, a little bit to really the decisions that are being made, because I, I want to point out this news, this news comes out, you know, that the Big Ten and the Big or Pac-12, and obviously we had already heard about the Mac had canceled their their fall season as Chris Kleiman, you know, head coach of K-State, who's who just said the last round of coronavirus testing didn't produce a single positive case. So so it's so interesting the timing while schools are are going about it it seems like they're being successful kind of handling it and, and then keep I, in mind keep in mind Kansas State had an outbreak earlier this right. season and they managed it they mitigated it they moved on and yeah. that that seems like those protocols are in place in these major the power five conferences i don't right. i don't i don't fault the mac for canceling right. i don't fault the mountain west for canceling yep. i don't fault the ivy league for canceling but when you're talking about the sec the big 12 the big 10 the pac 12 the acc they have i know they've taken a hit financially this year who hasn't but they have the resources to be able to manage this. And that's exactly the position that the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, has been saying for the last 48 hours that as far as he's concerned, the SEC is going to move on because they have the protocols in place. They have the backing of the health officials. They're going to give it a shot. If it doesn't work, they can change course. And that's my question. And I don't mean to cut you off, but that's my question with the Big 12 and the, and, or the Big 10 and the Pac 12. Why not at least give it a shot and see what happens? 
Uh, well, and I'll say, for, I mean, for sure, without getting too far into politics, I mean, Pac-12, there was no doubt. I had no doubt they were not going to play being in the state of California. It just wasn't right. going to happen. They have the the strictest restrictions and, uh, you know, are the quickest to kind of pull the plug on some of these things. I had no doubt the Pac-12 uh, was not going to play football in the fall. I am very surprised about the about the Big Ten. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine bl- is blaming Rutgers. I, I'm, he's not sure uh, his basis. He, he said ever since the uh, school from the the east joined a midwest conference like the big 10 it didn't make any sense but you know i the other thing i'm interested in is what what is the football going to look like assuming some of these conferences that are holding on are are we are we going to see some sort of alignment between yeah. uh, not, not alignment between the big 12 and sec are you going to see some crossover i mean it makes sense to just kind of play their conference schedules but right are they going to throw something together at the end some sort of playoff on their own and and to our point we won't you know beat a dead horse like you and i have already talked about but if the sec and big 12 pull off something like that isn't it even a, a more of a look like hey nca we don't need you we're doing <laughs> we this on that, our own right? and it's been better yeah. Exactly. Without a doubt. And so I, I definitely want to talk about realignment and, and, you know, what we might be seeing, you know, assuming that conferences like the Big 12 and the SEC continue to play. But before we get to that, I do want to hear from Skylar Thompson, quarterback from the Wildcats, who talked a little bit, and, I, and we both think that he was incredibly eloquent right. in kind of summing up about why it's so important for him and his teammates in Manhattan to play this upcoming season. I just want to play football whenever that time is. Um, whenever that's right, you know, obviously I want everybody to be safe. You know, I, I'm not being oblivious to, to what's going on and, and whatnot, but at the end of the day, uh, just, I think speaking for everybody, it would just be nice to have some answers and for things not to just keep getting, you know, pushed around of, oh, we're meeting next week. And, you know, like there's just so many things of uncertainty every single day and how things can change in 24 hours that, it is—it's very hard on a on a, on a player, and um, you know, I think if we were to just get some answers, you know, we'd be able to process with what what that would look like, whether if that's what we'd want or not. And um, you know, for me, um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to playing in the spring or playing in the winter, or whatever. Just give me a football and let's go play. Let's go play. I mean, incredibly eloquent there from Skylar Thompson. And how great is it, uh, especially when you're looking at Kansas State, about how Coach Kleiman and and, uh, the athletic director, Gene Taylor, there have allowed the players to be vocal and have allowed them to speak to the media, have allowed them to to give their opinions on things. There are other schools that don't do that. And, And not just in the vein of Kansas State, but nationally, you're seeing players that are embracing the opportunity to speak. And, you know, does that mean that eventually you're going to have a, a college football players association? I don't know, maybe, you know, but whether you're talking about, you know, social justice or, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 issue, I mean, you've got players that are speaking up. It seems like Trevor Lawrence at, at Clemson is kind of the main spokesman uh, nationally, you know, for the movement of let's play in the fall. Let's try to make it, make it happen. Um, obviously your heart hurts for these players, yeah. especially a guy like Skyler Thompson, you know, who, who just wants to go out and play football and he wants answers. They all want answers. They don't want the, the can kick down the road. They just want to know, are we going to play or aren't we going to play? You know, and I, I'm so glad we played this clip from Skylar Thompson because, you know, frankly, I, I don't give a damn what the athletic dra- directors think, what the, what, frankly, what the coaches think. If those 
men, and that's what they are. You've got 18 to 22 year old men. And we've been saying, you know, everybody has been screaming from the rooftops. These guys should be able to make their own money. They should be able to make their own decisions because they are grown men. Then they should be involved in this process. They should be asked what they want. And, And look, with that being said, you you heard Skylar Thompson. If there's a guy on that K State team that he's concerned about himself, he's concerned about his family. Absolutely, you know he, he does. You know he shouldn't have to play. And this is where again we're going to circle back around the NCA. There should be some sort of already agreed upon look. If a guy sits out this year, there's no loss of of any type of scholarship money or any type of you know eligibility that we're we're good there. And let those guys make the decisions. They're grown men. And frankly, look, this is the time. Eighteen to twenty two. And the game, I mean, you're going to get me fired up because there's so much about football that, that these guys are learning as as they're growing as men and only a small fraction are going to be able to make the NFL. So right now, making a decision for yourself, for your family, for your friends is what these guys need to be doing. And we just don't need all these other folks stepping in and telling them that they are not. They should be presenting the information to them. You know, because there are, of course, you know, that's just how the world works. We've got other people's, you know, who are going to be part of the organization or group that you're involved in. And that information should be presented to them. But these guys, their voice needs to be heard. And I'm so glad we played Scott Thompson. And I'm glad we're hearing we're hearing a ton of players speak up. And and I'm, I'm so glad because I think that's where this focus should be. How sad is it? that, you know, this is a, is it's an industry. It might be a game, but it's an industry where you have, again, the NCAA, but you have these, these member institutions, you have these, these massive colleges. And not only that, you have these incredibly lucrative television deals where you have these major networks and all the people that own the networks and that are, you know, everybody, everybody is making and historically has made a lot of money out, you know, out, off of these players, off of these guys. Don't you think the least that we should do is let them have a say in whether or not they play? Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not profiting at all. I mean, maybe a little bit. You know, if you you can always throw the argument about tuition, blah blah blah. You know, scholarships. I get all that, but they're not making money hand over fist like the universities are, and like the networks are, and the advertisers are, and the NCAA is. At the very least, give them the opportunity to help make the decision, and don't leave it in the hands of of other people. Let it be up to these kids who are or these men who are out playing on the field. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, and, and it, it does. I mean, it, you know, of course, it, as pretty much I think all of our listeners know, you know, I played college football myself, small school, so probably wouldn't be facing a lot of the same decisions that some of these kids are. But you know, my heart breaks for the guys who, in which it again, I want to echo, it is the majority of them that the college football is all they have. They're not going to the NFL. Those guys right. who are who are losing their senior season when you know, attempts could have been made to play in a safe manner. And look, and I'm, I'm going to, I don't mean to speak for you, Tommy, but I think we're both on the same page that look, if things are, are going along and it just doesn't look like it can be done in a safe manner, I don't think you, you or I either one are saying, Hey, yeah, they should be playing blah, blah, blah. That's Shut not it down. the case. Shut but, it down. But why are we're not there yet? And it, from all, all right. uh, from what we've seen from, I mean, you can even look at things like the Kansas shrine bowl. You can look at things like the NBC tournament. It's being done. It's being yeah. done with less, uh, with less means, with less money, with less ability to really protect the people involved. 
you know, and it just heart, breaks my heart to, to take that away from these guys who only have su- such a limited amount of time to be playing for these universities in front of fans, you know, and, and that just, it really just breaks my heart. You know, I, I also have to wonder what does this mean for college basketball? You know, I know that the Pac-12 announced earlier on Tuesday that not only were they pushing back or canceling the fall season, but winter sports weren't going to begin until I think the end of January or something like that, mm-hmm. which like if you look at the case of KU, you know, they were playing teams like UCLA and Colorado, you know, this coming right. year. That's not going to happen, you know. So the the ramifications are, and not just college football, not just college basketball, but all of these athletes in a lot of different sports. I know we focus, you know, pretty heavily on, on football, but this impacts, you know, a lot of different athletes and a lot of different sports and a lot of different universities. And so it, it absolutely is sad. Hopefully this is, this can be used uh, to advocate for radical change in the system with the NCAA, which let's be honest, is a broken system and it has been for a long time. Hopefully this is the catalyst that sort you know sort of starts to move that that discussion along, that conversation along for some reform in that organization. Uh, but but I think at the end of the day, the big question, at least for Big 12 fans, is what what's going to happen with the Big 12? We haven't even talked about them. Right. You know, and in a lot of cases, you know, I think a lot of people are saying it might things might hinge on what the Big 12 decides. You know, I know at last glance, you know, things might change by the time this episode is live, but I did hear that, you know, a couple SEC uh, athletic department personnel were saying a lot will depend upon what the Big 12 decides right. if the SEC will, will go on. So, you know, who knows? And will teams like Nebraska and Ohio State and Michigan, will they join conferences like the Big 12 for a season? I mean, who knows what this wacky fall is going to look like? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of work to be done by a lot of different people in the next really, you know, I'd say 48 to, you know, 72 hours because you got to get things going, you know, if you're going to make major decisions like that. I don't know if you saw Tommy, but got to love Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Uh, after the news broke, Jim Harbaugh still has his team out practicing and a uh, team spokesperson said, we are practicing at this time. We're allowed to hold voluntary practices, meeting and strength conditioning for 20 hours per week. So by God, they're practicing, even though the, the, you know, conference had scheduled their or canceled their canceled their season. So uh, I think that would be, I think you could have a lot of entertaining football uh, if you get a mix of, you know, uh, whether it's big 10, you get a Nebraska coming back to the big 12 playing some teams there. Frankly, I anticipate you're not going to see anything too radical. I think Probably what happens is the Big 12 stays with the Big 12 schedule. The SEC stays with the SEC schedule. I mean, it's just a simple way to really even more control, kind of keep everything in a controlled environment. Um, And with that being said, maybe something – I could see maybe something at the end of the season saying, hey, Big 12 SEC, let's shake hands. Big 12 champion plays the SEC champion, and people can either consider it the national championship or not. But, you know, that's just maybe we'll, we'll do that to generate a little extra revenue. Yeah, you never know. I mean, you know, there could be a scenario where you see teams like Nebraska, you know, maybe coming in and playing some Big 12 teams or Michigan or whatever. Can you imagine if all of a sudden Kansas had to play Nebraska or had to play Michigan or had to play on top of their Big 12 schedule? Um, I, I I don't even really want to think about that if that if that were to happen. Tom, but uh, at the end of the on. day, 
<laughs> I don't know. It's, it'd be it'd be uh, it'd be a slaughter. It'd be really bad. Um, but obviously, things are going to change. I'm sure that by the time this show goes live, there will be other decisions that have been made, and and for sure by the time our next episode drops, um, I'm sure things might even be completely different. You never know. We could have no football at all. So I guess we'll have to you know sort of cross our fingers and just kind of wait and see uh, what ends up happening there. Why don't we transition and talk some Kansas City Royals? We talked about the Royals the last couple of weeks, uh, Weston. I have to wonder if maybe I need to take more time off because from the time that I was on the show last, we were talking about how terrible the Royals are to now. Uh, they're playing pretty well right now. They swept the twins. They're setting, I believe at what seven and 10 right now on the season, yep. which isn't great, but at the same time, it's better than three and 10 where they were before the Minnesota series. Uh, has your overall opinion changed of Kansas city and where they stand 17 games in? Yeah. I mean, Maybe a little bit, you know, I, I really do think when we were, when we, when Blake and I were on the last podcast kind of talking about it and, and I do want to point out, I think Blake was much more critical of where the Royals were than I necessarily was. Um, but I, I will hand up. I, you know, I had plenty, you know, to say about that as well. Um, but you know, here's the thing we've got, which is so weird to say, we've got 43 games left to play. They're four games out. So I think really what these last set of games has showed has shown you and shown us is that this season is probably going to be pretty dang unpredictable. You know, I, I think you're going to see teams. I mean, when you have such a sprint of games and I'm not, I'm certainly not making excuses for the twins because I think the Royals did a lot of fantastic things that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, but when you have a 60 game sprint, I think you can have, a complete three game flat, you know, sputter by a team like the twins and just absolutely get swept by the Royals. And I think you're going to see that throughout the season from, you know, many different teams. I, I think that's just kind of the nature of putting 60 games in. I don't know what the number was in the beginning, like 70 days. I think that's what it was initially. And now we're going to be moving to double headers and those kind of things. So I say all that to tell you, yes, I, you know, I think my opinion is changed a little bit. I think there is a possibility that the Royals could certainly piece things together and, you know, kind of sneak in. I, I don't still don't think that they've got the consistency, which, you know, winning four games doesn't change our opinion about consistency because they still had that bad game. What stretch of six losses or seven losses before that. Yeah. So it's just kind of feeding into the look, they've got talent. They are just not consistent, but you know, I think now maybe more my position is look, the season is unpredictable and maybe they could slide into a wild card spot. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think my first impression of the Royals over the last week or so, or two weeks from the last time I was on the show, is number one, um, I need to give an apology to Adalberto Mondesi, um, you know, who I came down on really hard two weeks ago on the show. And I think for good reason, you know, he was he started the season really, really poorly, but I feel like he started to settle in a little bit. You know, he's not putting up world-class numbers by any stretch of the imagination, but one example comes to mind uh, to me, and I believe it was during one of the twins games over the weekend. I think it might've been Saturday night's game, um, which the Royals won. Obviously they swept the series, but it was late in the game and Mondesi ended up on first base. And I don't know if you saw this, he stole second, then he stole third. Mm -hmm. Then there was a pass ball and he scored. Yeah. And that was all in the matter of one batter. And, you know, and I had come down on him about, he had been making base running mistakes and he had had a couple errors out in the field and he wasn't hitting the ball. Well, he looked like he was in his head. 
in that regard, he was so much more focused. He was so much more committed. Uh, he showed the true talent that he has. Uh, you know, so having a guy like him start to come alive, I think is great. So number one, I owe him an apology. Number two, though, is overall collectively for the Royals, their offense has finally started to wake up a little bit. I mean, you've got some guys that are finally starting to put the bat on the ball. Um, you know, I, I don't blame them early on for not being able to hit very well because of how crazy this has been and, you know, a very short warm up time to get back into it. But the bats are finally starting to come alive. You definitely saw that over the weekend against Minnesota. Yeah, and uh, this is. I'm glad you're you're pointing out Mondesi because I want to point out who I think is. I guess we're a quarter way through the season, which is again just bizarre to even say. But my quarter way through the season MVP, absolutely Salvador Perez, fantastic. Industry. I mean, the man's hitting. I don't know if he's ever hit 319 before. I mean, he's hitting yeah. for average. You know, and you can tell by the way some of the young pitchers have come out and pitched so well. That is, you have to give Salvi a hand in that. Looking great behind the dish, throwing throwing guys, you know, I actually don't know, uh, you know, I think he's thrown out a couple guys, but it's just that presence back there. And really, I mean, he leads the team in hits. I mean, think about that. A team that, that just wit gets all the attention and, and deservedly so. Salvi has... Two more, three more hits than than Whit Merrifield. That's not yeah. been Sal's uh, mo in in any of the seasons in prior. So I have been so impressed by Salvador Perez in his in his bounce back year. And you've got guys that are starting to warm up, you know, at the plate like Jorge Soler. Um, you know, Nicky Lopez is starting to come along. Um, you know, so you've got you definitely got you know Franco is is hitting the ball well right now. You know, so these guys are are really starting to gel a little bit more. Um, you know, when they're at bat. And I know that a lot of people are going to point at the rotation. They're going to say, you know, these young guys that, you know, Brady Singer and Chris B- uh, Bubeck. And, you know, I think I said that right. Is it Bubeck or Bubeck? Bubeck. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, it's either Bubeck or Bubich. I'm not exactly okay. sure, to be honest with you. Either way, you know, you're going to talk about these, you know, young guns that the Royals have in their rotation, but I want to point everybody's attention to the bullpen. The bullpen has been really, really good uh, over the last couple of weeks or so with guys like Trevor Rosenthal, you know, who's throwing straight fire right now, uh, you know, as the closer for for the for the Royals. Um, you know, he's been playing great. You know, I know obviously, you know, Greg Holland is still there. He's pitched kind of up and down. Um, but Scott Barlow has played well and pitched well in relief. And Tyler Zuber is there as well, too, you know, in, in the pin. You know, these guys are are pitching well in relief. I think that's especially important, you know, in today's game and especially this year when, you know, the starters are not going to go a long time. Having a solid bullpen is essential. And the Royals, I think, have that right now. Tommy, I'm so glad that you you left me my guy to talk about because this guy I have been you've you heard about him in the minors coming up, coming up. They'd kind of switched him from starter to bullpen to bullpen. Now he's in the Royals bullpen. Josh Stalmont has been fantastic. I think he has blown me away more than any other pitcher. I mean, impressed with Rosenthal kind of on the comeback train. Some of these guys, Scott Barlow, who's kind of been around a little bit, you know, pitching well, but Josh Stalmont, 101 on the black. That guy is just dotting pitches. You can't hit it. I mean, he's got he's got 14 strikeouts in seven and two-thirds innings. He's only given up one earned run, um, and that came off a home run. And when you throw 101, I mean, if somebody gets contact on the, on the bat, you know, that thing's going to fly. Um, yep. But I have been so impressed with him. I think he's the closer of the future for the Royals, uh, which that's the part. I mean, I, I know I just – 
five minutes ago, seven minutes ago, whatever it was, said, hey, you know, maybe, you know, I think the Royals, maybe they could sneak in somewhere. You know, I don't, I would not bet on that. I, I certainly would imagine they finished maybe somewhere around the 500 mark. Um, but seeing some of these guys that are of the future, whether it's next year or the year after, do so well is is what you want to see as a Royals fan right now. And and him, again, I he's the closer of the future, I think. So seeing him really come in and grow into his own and absolutely just dominate and some big time hitting not not only that you know i can think of some uh, in a bat with nelson cruz and really just that whole twins lineup you know he pitched well that whole series so so excited to see what what he can continue to do and like you said some of these other young pitchers who, who have done well as well here's why i'm optimistic and i might actually be more optimistic than than you are maybe about the future prospects for the Royals this season, um, you know, and where they end up at the end of the year. Um, and, and that's I think that's surprising because I was so down on them a couple of weeks ago. I think we both were. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm more optimistic. And the reason for that is, yeah, you know, they, they swept the Twins, who are a good ball club. That's great. But they swept the Twins with a less than optimal lineup and rotation. Mm-hmm. They've got Hunter Dozier back now. He's back playing. He's in the cleanup spot. And Brad Keller is coming back. Jacob Junis is coming back. For the first time, they're going to have pretty much near optimal lineup and rotation with, you know, not a ton of injuries really, you know, to, to speak of. I know I think isn't Bubba Starling on the IL right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but really other than that, there there aren't a whole lot of injuries to speak of. Now things can always change, but if they were able to sweep the twins with a less than optimal lineup and rotation, now they're going to be kind of at full strength. Uh, I'm pretty optimistic about it. And I know that Mike Matheny was obviously thrilled about the way the team played over the weekend. Let's hear from him talking about the four game winning streak for the Royals. Uh, well, just really good baseball. That was a, a series of uh, yeah, to answer your question quickly, um, but to elaborate, uh, we wanted to see speed. We wanted to see pressure. We wanted to see defense. Uh, we believe in our, our pitching, and you're watching some of these guys that you would hope would be part of that conversation, and we didn't know if that was going to be possible or not, and, and they are, and they're doing what we needed them to do. And you can start to envision about halfway through spring, when we were still in Arizona, um, how this bullpen could come around and what we thought might have been one of our, our weaknesses last year to be one of our strengths this year. And uh, But this just comes down to each man just getting better. Uh, these guys are, are really um, Im- impressive in how they're working on different parts of their game, whether it's the running game, whether it's controlling the strike zone, and then working on some of their secondary pitches and how to use them. Um, just uh, very impressed with what that pen has done. Obviously, Mike Matheny talking about the bullpen there, but um, you know, at the at the same time, if Mike Matheny is able to manage this team to at least five hundred or better, that's got to be when you look back on it a successful season for his first year in Kansas City, right? Yeah, no, I mean, abs- absolutely, I think so, and, and really, of course, the record matters, but I really, I, again, I, I hate to harp on this, but I, I do feel like the growth of the young guys. Did they do they appear to be getting better from game one to game 60? I think is much more what I'm going to be focused on as far as I don't know, grading Mike Matheny as a you know his first season more so, but but absolutely. I mean, the name of the game is winning, so that that has to factor in, and I think that would be a huge success if he can be over 500 or around 500 or over 500 by, by the end of the year. 
by the time the show goes live, the Royals will be in the middle of a series with the Cincinnati Reds. And then they play the Minnesota Twins again, who obviously they just swept over the weekend. So it'll be interesting. I think the next couple weeks or so, it's going to be really, really intriguing to see how the Royals respond after that four game sweep of the Minnesota Twins over the weekend. Let's get into our Wichita whip around right now on Keeper of the Games. We're going to start things off by talking about the NBC World Series, which I know Weston, you and Blake talked about a little bit on the last episode, uh, but the NBC tournament has wrapped up. It's officially in the books. Uh, Of course, a weird year for the NBC tournament, just like a weird year for everybody in all sports. Uh, But the Santa Barbara Foresters, that's one thing that's not weird. They were the champions and they might be the most dominant team in the history of the NBC World Series. They went undefeated and they camp- they captured their eighth championship and they've been in the title game for the second straight year. So, uh, I mean, that's huge. This is a team that comes in every year. They tend to dominate. Uh, your takeaways from this year of the NBC World Series? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I don't know how you can't start with, you know, fantastic job by the, the guys at uh, the NBC. And it, it's Kevin Jinx, right, is, is the guy yeah. who you know, runs it. Yeah, yeah, fantastic job by them. Really just to, to get it put together, you know, it's, boy, it sure sounds like everything went smoothly. And there was no cancellations, nothing. So, uh, first of all, fantastic job just to, to get that going. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, – it's expected as much as you it can be expected, right, for Santa Barbara to, to come in and dominate. It's just what they've they've done uh, over the years. Yeah, without a doubt. And you know what I think is so interesting about this Santa Barbara team is that a week before the tournament started, last week, they weren't even sure they were going to be able to make it to Wichita because of the pandemic. And uh, they were going to play a tournament in California that got canceled. Uh, they usually take buses to Wichita, but they flew instead to make it on time. But then they had to sort of quarantine for a while. They lived in like a little bubble uh, where they you know, obviously didn't interact with anybody else. Um what I think is so interesting about the NBC tournament and going back to what we talked about with college football, it's kind of like the Kansas Shrine Bowl. Like the NBC tournament is proof that you can pull off a, an event and an event in, in that regard with fans in some capacity and not have major, major outbreaks of COVID-19 if you're doing things the right way. So yeah, absolutely hats off to Kevin Jinks. Uh, just a really, really well done tournament. And um, I know it was a little bit different not having it downtown and having it split between two different locations. Uh, but I think overall, if I'm Kevin Jinks, I'm looking at that tournament as an absolute overwhelming success in spite of the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And just a, a fun fact for our listeners, some uh, uh, Royals connections between the Santa Barbara Foresters uh, and, and the Royals. We had uh, Ryan O'Hearn is a former member of the Santa Barbara Foresters and uh, former Royals pitcher James Shields was also. Wow. Um, and then uh, Brian Bannister, that's a name you probably have not heard in a while. Yeah. Also former member of the uh, Santa Barbara Forster. So some good connections there with the team that has really just dominated in, in Wichita over the last uh, really decade. Yeah, hopefully by the time the 2021 NBC tournament uh, takes place, things will be back to normal. And I know they limited attendance to 2000 people and they had to wear face masks the entire time. But uh, at least there were folks uh, in Wichita and in Hutchinson, for that matter, that got a chance to experience some live baseball this summer, which is always great. Uh, We've got a couple more things on our Wichita whip around to talk about here today. Uh, And I'm kind of springing this one on you. Uh, here in the moment because we didn't talk about this ahead of time but uh, I don't know if you watched any of the PGA Championship over the weekend Uh, 
Colin Morikawa won the tournament. Um, just an absolutely incredible final round. But a little Wichita connection. Uh, he actually played in the Wichita Open back in 2016, made it into a playoff on the final day, lost in a playoff to Ali Schneiderjans. Uh, but Colin Morikawa won an even bigger prize over the weekend uh, yeah. by winning the PGA Trophy and hoisting the Wanamaker Trophy. So uh, pretty big deal and especially kind of cool that uh, this guy played in Wichita. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I'm uh, As much as I think we have progressed and this is what the, the quarantine and no sports has done to me, I'm becoming a PGA fan. I've started to watch some events. <laughs> and then I, th- I think also, and this is this will be a topic for another day that's kind of a big one, but with sports gambling and ultimately like daily fantasy sports is kind of what has gotten me into the, the, the PGA and, and, and watching some of those events. But it was was a lot of fun over the weekend and, and fun to see uh, him. And I don't I can't remember did Gary Woodland, uh, Topeka native, did he he made the cut and I can't remember he made the cut where he. I want to say finish in the thirties, but I'm, I'm not yeah. remembering now. But uh, another good event. But yeah, Colin Mark out. I think this guy's going to be a star. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, the the shot that he hit on number fourteen, yep, or I think it was no number number sixteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that 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 you know huge. You know, I think it was a three wood that he hit, mm-hmm. and it came in seven feet away for eagle. Um, pretty incredible, and and the fact that he's got a Wichita connection and played in the Wichita Open uh, is really cool. Yeah. That's not a shot that I can hit. And that's not a shot that I'm not sure I would recommend anybody else try. Yeah, I saw someone uh, someone on Twitter had tweeted that, you know, that shot from Morikawa is the kind of shot you you pull off on Tiger Woods PGA Tour 09 when you're on pace yeah. to shoot like a 52 or something like right. a game type shot. Now, I have to ask you uh, again, putting you on the spot. I know because uh, I saw a picture that you were in Wichita. <laughs> that's right. Playing a golf tournament at Rolling Hills Country Club. That's right. Uh did you attempt a Colin Morikawa shot during that tournament? Um, yeah, attempted, yes. Yeah, attempted all day to do shots like Colin Morikawa. Uh, no, I am a very, very bad golfer, and I don't say that lightly. I really am not good. But uh, did par number nine on Rolling Hills on my own and was very proud. Nice. So I'll take that as some sort of win. Um but uh, we took third place in the second flight, which I think is a little funny uh, <laughs> that there's even a second flight to be to be uh, in third place, which means we really took like 12th or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, hey, that's great, though. I mean, and, you know, by the way, Rolling Hills is a great golf course to play. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's in great shape. I played it back in June. So uh, shout out to our friends at, uh, at Rolling Hills Country Club. I also uh, want to ask you and I'm, I'm just getting way off topic Let's here and I don't even really care. Uh, you mentioned daily sports betting. Uh, and you do DraftKings, right? That's yeah. the mm-hmm. my preferred okay. site. So you encouraged me to join DraftKings, and you were like, "I think you'd really like, you know, whether it's baseball or golf or like whatever." So I've been doing it for the past couple of weeks. I haven't even told you about this. I've been doing it, <laughs> and I have not won a single time. Like I'm losing. I'm not. I've lost all of my money. I've redeposited <laughs> like twice, yeah. and I'm thinking, how do you win money on this thing? Is that something you win money on? Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I won money off of Colin Morikawa finishing uh, first. That that, that one. Wow. And when I say won some money, I think I won like $10. But we'll, wow. we'll definitely have to talk off here. I got some tips for you, Tommy. Okay, good. Yeah, I need those <laughs> tips because if, uh, if I keep losing money at this rate, uh, I'm not going to be able to do it for much longer. Uh, our final topic in the Wichita Whip Around before we move on, uh, just really quickly want to mention this because it is relevant uh, to folks in Wichita, and it is about sports. The City of Wichita Parks and Recreation Department, they announced on Tuesday that it is postponing its uh, the youth uh, football program 
uh, that was scheduled to happen in the fall of 2020. And again, they're tentatively planning to hold it in the spring of 2021. Uh, so Weston, we've talked a lot about college football. We've talked about high school football uh, in past episodes. Even the little kids now, there, there's a, uh, you know, looks like at least in Wichita are not going to be able to play football in the fall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I completely. This is a completely different conversation than what we have. You know, the conversation we have about college kids. I, I completely understand why the city of Wichita would do this. Um, with that being said, you know, I would have to imagine that there there might be some sort of uh, you know private leagues type a thing pop up and and letting the kids that are you know again it, it just appears to be not much risk at that age but you know that's a decision you can let the parents make um and completely understand though why the city of wichita wouldn't want to take any right. of, of running that so makes a lot of sense i i hope that that they can figure out something for the kids but also i think uh, them playing in the spring that would probably be fine where they could turn around and play again in the fall it's kind of a just a different um different game at that age it really is yeah, and the same way that you see things like MAYB basketball and, you know, some traveling baseball teams and elite academies and things like that, uh, I'm sure that there will probably be somebody in the market that steps up uh, to do some kind yeah. of, you know, more private football uh, in the fall. But uh, yeah, of course, the city of Wichita postponing the youth football programs until the spring of 2021. That's going to wrap things up for our Wichita whip around on this episode of Keeper of the Games. We're going to wrap things up by talking about, I, I would say, a guy that might be second to Patrick Mahomes as far as popularity on this show. And there we go. We hadn't, we hadn't talked about Pat Mahomes at all. Uh, we got our obligatory mention in, but this guy might be second as far as popularity is concerned to Pat. Right. And that is University of Kansas basketball head coach Bill Self, who is in the news in the last 24 hours, not for anything bad this time, uh, which is good. No controversy going on right now. Uh, but Bill Self did announce that he is joining uh, the, the website and app Cameo uh, to do personalized greetings for fans. And the cool thing about that is the fact that it's all going going to charity. All the money that's being raised is going to help player-led initiatives at the University of Kansas, which is really, really cool. Uh, I think what makes it funny, though, is just knowing that you've got a guy, a Naismith Hall of Famer like Bill Self, who will now send out birthday greetings to you or anniversary greetings or tell you to hang in there and get well soon. Uh, I, you know, I think that's pretty awesome. I think it's kind of funny, too. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the price for a Bill Self cameo? Well, it's like a hundred bucks, isn't it? You know, I'm I'm starting to think maybe a hundred bucks to get a hey, welcome into keeper of the games from uh, Coach Self. Maybe where we need to go with this thing that might be a nice little treat. But fit, uh, it's fun. It's fun that he just doesn't take himself that serious. Where he would, yeah. you know, there's a lot of coaches out there who just wouldn't be willing to put themselves out there like that because they, you know, take themselves a little more serious or just can't turn off the the basketball side of things. And I. I I know there's a lot of probably K-State fans, Wichita State fans, of course, Mizzou fans that don't don't like Bill Self. But to some degree, I think you got to you got to like the guy just from a personality standpoint. He's just willing to, you know, do a lot for the university, for other people that just really aren't involved. You know, like you said, just a charitable cause uh, for student athletes. And I think it's an awesome move. Yeah, he's a very charming guy and he's a really funny guy too. And uh, so if you would love some kind of personalized greeting from the head man at KU, uh, you can do that through Cameo. And just to give you an example of what it might sound like, this is Bill Self on Cameo. Hey, Mike, Bill Self here. I understand that you and Nick are huge Jayhawk fans. And uh, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate uh, the support, even if from afar. And then when you get an opportunity, you've got to come back to Allen Fieldhouse and, and watch us play again and, and hopefully 
add to our winning ways in the field house. Uh, certainly appreciate you. Uh, I know that uh, Nick wanted me to say hello, and maybe that's just his way of saying, Dad, let's go back. Rock shock, and let's hope and pray for a season. It should be a fun one if we have one. Take care. I mean, how cool is that, right? And knowing that all that money is going to charity, is going to help player-led initiatives uh, at the University of Kansas, uh, I would highly recommend if you've got the money to spare and you want to get a greeting from uh, from Bill Self to absolutely do that because I'm that's really cool. Yeah, no doubt. I, again, it's you get a benefit of, of getting a little personalized messages from Coach Self, but then also that money going to char- charitable causes. I think is is pretty neat. So uh, I may have to I may have to see who if I've got any family members with birthdays coming up, and we might we might have to make that happen. There you go. And just if you do that, just you know, have him at the very end say, "Hey, what's up? It's Bill Self. You're listening to Keeper of the Games." <laughs> that way we can right? cut that part and then into the birthday message. So that'll be that'd be perfect. There we go. That sounds great. That's our finally funny here on this episode of Keeper of the Games. And that's going to wrap things up uh, for our show. Now, obviously, like we talked about before, things are ever changing in the world of college football. And so um, as we get updates on what's going to be happening a little bit here closer to home, like in the Big 12, and especially with schools like KU and K-State, uh, we'll make sure to, to stay up to date on that on our Twitter. Make sure to follow us there at COGPOD, at K-O-G-Pod. That way you get all the updated information. And um, you know we'll be retweeting the accounts when you know things drop and i'm sure a lot's going to be happening here before we do another show uh, we'll plan on being back next week for another episode of keeper of the games and kind of break down everything that's going on in that world and a whole lot more make sure you hit subscribe and that way you get a notification whenever we have a brand new episode of course you can listen on platforms like itunes google podcasts spotify iHeartRadio, tune in radio stitcher pocket cast and many others. You can also watch full episodes on YouTube and on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games, and you can subscribe on Facebook as well. Go to our website, cogpod.weebly.com to find out more about us and watch episodes there on the website also. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram again at cogpod at K-O-G-Pod. With that, uh, Weston, what is your Twitter handle? At WMills94. Of course, you can follow me at tweets from Tommy. Uh, hey, next episode, do you want to host it or do you want you want me to? Are you glad that I'm I, back? Yeah, I like the setup. I like you as the host, Tommy. There's a lot more involved in that than I thought there was. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. We'll be back for another episode next week. For Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Caster. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's K-O-G-Pod. 